Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season two. Whether you're watching for the first time, or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary on the show. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Season 2, Episode 9, What's My Line? Part 1. This is such a good episode. I really enjoyed rewatching this. I agree, Steph. I enjoyed this episode too. I didn't remember a lot of the details to this episode. Like I remembered the big beats, right? Like the whole like Buffy angel thing going on in this episode. But there was a lot of like the specific details that I had forgotten. And Mm -hmm. what a cliffhanger. (laughs) Whoa, we haven't had a cliffhanger since the pilot. This one's better. Yes, I agree. This is the first proper two-parter we've had in the show, right? Like, Welcome to the Hellmouth and the Harvest were kind of a two-parter, but that was by design because the first episode was setting everything up. This Mm -hmm. is the first actual narrative story two-parter where, like, they've definitely written it all. Like, both episodes are designed to be, you know, packaged together. And it's interesting because when I was watching this episode, at first I wanted to describe it as not having much action. And that's not true. It's not that it's a talky episode, but the action is interspersed between talky moments. So the action is so spread out, it happens in fits and starts. And that results in an episode that overall, it feels longer than it is. But it doesn't drag at any point. No, there's a lot that happens. Yeah. Like a lot happens in this episode. One thing that I noticed on rewatch that I never noticed really before is that Buffy is a lot more like a teenager in this episode mm-hmm. than I think she's been in a past little while. And we'll, we'll find out why. But it is something that I pointed out. And like you're saying, there is a lot of talking moments, but I did really enjoy the dialogue. Like, I thought the dialogue was really good in this episode. Yes. Yes, I agree with you. Okay, so where do we start? It is the career fair. Yay. Yay. Did we, did you, did we, do people have career fairs at school? Is this a thing? (sighs) I don't know if we ever really had like a fair. You know, I definitely remember doing the kinds of tests that Buffy and Willow and Xander are doing in this scene. We didn't do them on paper. We did them on like career cruising. (laughs) Yeah, there was like a whole class in grade 10 on like career studies or Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, we did it as part of an actual class, whereas this seems like some kind of extracurricular thing. Fair. Fair. But I personally thought this is really rude, high school, because half the students in this population die in horrible and mysterious deaths. Burn. (laughs) They never get to experience a career. So I was like, this is a little cruel, don't you think, to like dangle a life in front of these kids and then snatch it away? 
rude. But yes, we're it's a career fair. Uh, Willow is super jazzed about it. She's walking around like she's in Narnia. Like she's just like, wow, look at this. And she's smiling and she wants to sign up for things. And that's because Willow has a great future ahead of her as far as we can tell, right? She's mm-hmm. probably the only person who will survive this high school. Xander and Buffy are sitting at a table doing these, as we already said, career quizzes. Willow joins them, and Xander actually makes a good point. And he says, multiple choice tests shouldn't determine what they'll be doing for the rest of their lives. And I was like, fair. Like, yeah, like, I don't think you could really, you know, narrow down what your career should be based on these quizzes. But then Xander says, (laughs) knowing your future sucks the fun out of being young and stupid Willow says, you're not going to be young forever. And Xander says, yes, but I'll always be stupid. So once again, (laughs) you know, Xander is 100% correct here. And we (laughs) did promise earlier, Steph, that we would lay off the Xander slander sometimes and give him credit where credit is due. So that's what I'm doing right now. I'm just giving Xander credit. He is totally right. Yeah, you're right, Xander. Good for you. Cordelia is walking with her clique past their table she's talking about how she'll aspire to help her fellow man as long as he's not smelly dirty or something gross (laughs) and xander once again goes out of his way to start shit with her and he says cordelia chase always ready to give a helping hand to the rich and pretty and then the Cordelia says, which lucky me excludes you twice. <laughs> and yes, their jokes are slightly classist, but we always are pointing out that Xander is always trying to pick fights with Cordelia. Like he starts them. People think Cordelia is the bully here, but Xander is the one that's starting these conversations mm. and Cordelia is the one that's finishing them. Oh, I like it. So so Xander then says, oh, like, is murder bad? Because he wants to murder her because she destroyed him in that conversation. And Buffy says, why even bother doing a test? She's only doing it because Principal Snyder is making her, but it doesn't matter what her aptitude is because she's the Slayer. And this is what I'm saying when I say at the beginning of this episode that Buffy seems more like a teenager to me in this episode than ever before. It's because she's kind of melancholy. She's just like very woe is me this episode. Xander does bring up that she's going to be paid a sub minimum wage. (laughs) And that's actually true as well, Xander. Like you're just you're just like actually dropping a lot of truth bombs here. And it's true. Like and we've had people write in and say this to us. And I've been engaging with people on Instagram and TikTok that say the same thing. Why don't the Slayers get paid? And have like health benefits? Because healthcare is expensive in the States. Yeah, that's very true. And I think you and I know why. It's because they're not meant to live that long, <laughs> that they make it. And also they're women. Oh, yes. And they're women too. There's a lot of reasons why, but Xander nailed it here. Like you're, you're not even paid a minimum wage, you're paid sub-minimum wage. And Willow asks if Buffy ever gets curious with what career she could have. And this is when Buffy gets snippy and says, why go there? Yeah. And this is true. Willow looks hurt by the snap, but this is not very tactful of you, Willow, because you're very optimistic, you're an optimistic person, but Buffy's future isn't optimistic since she's already died once and she lives a very violent lifestyle. So I know I get why she said that, but I also get why Buffy took offense. Yeah. And I mean, we'll unpack this more because this is literally the point of this episode. I, I think that you could be forgiven for 
initially dismissing this scene as just another one of those, oh my goodness, Buffy's feeling a little weird about being the Slayer. You know, she's having some emotions, hormonal teenagers. She's feeling down today. But this this is literally the point of this episode. The title shows it. Pretty much every scene with Buffy shows it. This is an episode that's reminding us that Buffy's destiny as the Slayer conflicts with her possibility of having a normal life. And something I would emphasize at this juncture is it's not just that she can't have like a regular career in another job. It's that she knows, as you pointed out, because she's already done it once, that being the Slayer is going to kill her because you can't retire from being the Slayer, right? One When one Slayer is killed, another one is chosen. So by that logic, until you die, you are the Slayer. So Buffy knows that there is no happy ending for her. There is no retirement. Mm-hmm. There's no golden years where she and Willow are, you know, playing shuffleboard in the retirement home. It, it's not a possibility for her. She will have to keep fighting every single day for the rest of her life, whether that's for another year or another five years or another 20 years. Not that any Slayer has ever lived that long, but just imagine that prospect for a 16-year-old girl, right? Of just like this awareness that your time is limited and your end will probably be bloody and violent. Ugh. And you had brought this up too. I believe it was in When She Was Bad in the first episode of this season that that's something that Buffy realized after she died and came back mm-hmm. and had that summer to think about it. She came back feeling these things and this is the episode where she's finally kind of letting that out. Yeah. She's not acting out. She's actually saying it now. Well, and we will continue to see this as they progress through high school, right? Because high school yeah. is all about what do you plan to do after high school, but... Buffy is one of those teenagers, and there's lots of other teenagers who feel this way, and I'm sure they identify with Buffy in this sense. Buffy is one of those teenagers who feels like she doesn't really have a future beyond high school because of her her situation. Yeah, and it's career week, and her career is the Slayer. Like That's how she sees it, as her job. Yeah. All right, so we cut from high school to the abandoned factory. Do we have a name for Spike Slayer? Do we have like a cool name for it i just we just call it the factory (laughs) we can we can come up with a cool name for it okay i mean factory bronze i suppose like it's a great name for sunnydale (laughs) so drusilla is in creepy drusilla fashion she's reading some tarot cards and because we know that she's got some kind of weird psychic gift her tarot card reading will probably actually be important to the episode Mm -hmm. um Meanwhile, across the table, Spike is basically like hovering over this balding, weirdly dressed uh, older vampire who is like trying to translate a book, which (laughs) presumably is the book that Spike had a minion steal for him from the library. Yep. So this guy, this is such an interesting dynamic in this scene because this is really kind of the first time we've seen like a smart vampire right like a scholarly vampire (laughs) all the other vampires we've seen so far have just kind of been muscle yeah and this guy you know the way he dresses his classes like he's (laughs) he's brains right and he's kind of the nerdy vampire 
And Spike's bullying him, <laughs> as the the stronger vampires are wont to do. Um, yeah. You know, because this guy is not succeeding at translating this ancient text, and Spike is very mad about it. And I just, I thought that that was such an interesting dynamic here. Do you think that this scholarly transcriber vampire was killed and turned by Spike recently to transcribe this book? That's an interesting question. I didn't think about that. Um, That's all I thought about when I was watching Spike bully him. I was like, how did Spike just happen upon this scholarly vampire he must have sought him out and turned him maybe i feel like he knows too much to like think about it this way right if you've just been turned you're probably like he looks older but he's he's not that old right he's like middle-aged no my suspicion is he's probably been a vampire for a while and that's given him a lot more time to kind of brush up on his ancient latin and stuff right like that's (laughs) one of the upsides of being a vampire is if you survive long enough you can you know learn more things and many vampires don't but my impression of this guy is that he's spent his immortality so far honing his skills at ancient texts let's leave it to the listeners is this scholarly man a new vampire or is he old let us know (laughs) (laughs) so why so why is spike so obsessed with translating this book so apparently the book holds the cure for drusilla's cure and here's a question i have what is making drusilla sick they never actually say they say she met a mob in prague yeah And there might be some sort of like canon comic book somewhere that tells what happened in Prague, but I don't know what that is. And all we know is that she's very weak Mm -hmm. and this spell from this book is going to help her and cure her. But like they never actually explain what's wrong with her. Is it something mystic or is it just like her body? Like, I don't know what it is. Well, I think anything with a vampire is mystical to some degree, right? But yeah, they (laughs) they kept it pretty vague. Which I think is fine. Yeah. We don't need to know all the details. You know, Drusilla's medical issues are her own private business. We don't have to tell everybody, but... <laughs> That's true. That's we. That doctor, remember from the Nightmare episode, that doctor would definitely tell us what her situation was. Oh, dear. So, anyway, Spike says he's running out of time, and the Slayer is his problem. And... Is the Slayer your problem, Spike? Or are you just kind of obsessed with her? This is something that I realized in this episode because Spike just does a lot of bullying and deciphering in this episode and and talking about the Slayer. And I just, I don't think that she factors into your situation at the moment. And she's not actively hunting you, which she should be, but she's not. And the last three times that you've tried to take her, she beat you down, but that's because you came to her. So Spike even came to Sunnydale to seek her out. So Mm -hmm. he's been stalking her and obsessed with her before we even met him. Mm -hmm. And his whole time in Sunnydale, he's kind of been obsessed with Buffy. So the fact that right now where he's like, the Slayer is my problem. It's like, I don't think she is, Spike. (laughs) I don't think she is. You could have gotten that book, taken Drusilla and driven out of town. That is such a great point and a great reading of what's going on, Steph. I agree so much. This is, we're seeing the beginnings here of Spike's obsession with Buffy. And I want to really say Buffy deliberately because Mm -hmm. I want to differentiate that from the Slayer as a title. Um, We know that Spike has killed two previous Slayers. And so I think when he rolled into town, right, his initial 
idea was that dispatching this Slayer was also going to be a piece of cake for him, right? He'd kill Buffy. Yeah. She's just a wimpy teenage girl. No big deal. The fact that she has thwarted him three times, as you said, it's getting under his skin. And I agree with you that in this moment, right, Buffy is not the reason they can't translate this <laughs> manuscript. It's not like she's the one yeah. who's jumbled it up or whatever. Um, yeah. So the fact that he's irrationally projecting his problems onto Buffy demonstrates that obsession. And I mentioned this when we met Spike in school hard, but I think we need to really keep an eye on Spike's obsession with Buffy and how that factors into his worldview and his opinion of women in general. Mm -hmm. So let's keep an eye on that. Yeah. So one thing I also want to point out about the scene is that Drusilla and Spike kiss. And we haven't actually seen them kiss yet. They've caressed each other. They've licked each blood off each other's <sighs> faces. <laughs> they, they've been very weird and close and sensual together. But seeing these two vampires kiss, I don't know. It just seems so, like kissing is very intimate to me. So watching two demons kiss, it hit me different than this time around. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. Uh, I do think that like there is an intimacy between them and watching them kiss uh, solidified that for me. So anyway, Drusilla learns from her tarot cards that the language is a code and they need a key. Uh, and that's why the transcribers have a tough time. Those are some really useful tarot cards. Yeah. They're very specific in their instructions. I've had my future read from tarot cards before. It's awesome. But like, I'd want my future read from Drusilla because she will be absolutely right. She'll tell you exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. So cut to credits. In the cemetery, Buffy is patrolling and she sees the scholarly transcriber guy uh, stealing something out of a crypt. Uh, so she stands back and waits for him to come out. And when I first saw this, I watched the episode twice. So the first time I watched it, I was kind of like, hey, that's odd. Like, why didn't you just go kill him then? But it does make sense to fight outside. Yes. Obviously, more space. So that's smart of her and also gives her enough time to come up with something good to say. That's what I was going to say. That's probably why she did that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I need to pun. It wasn't even that good, though. She says, uh, does rest in peace have no sanctity to you? <laughs> yeah. She gets attacked by another vamp, though. She stakes him, but the scholar gets away. And this is an example, right, of what I mean about how the action scenes in this episode come in fits and spurts. And so we this was a very brief action scene. And then we're right back into a talking scene. Yeah, I mean, it's a good thing. It shows that Buffy's really good at slaying. Like She's just like, boom, he's mm -hmm. gone. But she let the other get away. Angel is in Buffy's room waiting for her. Ooh. That was my note, was Angel waiting for <laughs> Buffy in her room. Steph's wounds. Every time I open the door to my bedroom, I pray <laughs> that I'll catch Angel looking at my stuff. And he's not, though. Um, Buffy comes up through her open window and throws her bag in and scares him. <laughs> and I really love this scene. I love this exchange between the two of them. I think it's great. Uh, Buffy says her mom's in L.A. until Thursday. <laughs> no mom. And Angel asks why she came through the window. And she says, habit, <laughs> which is so good. Um, Angel says that he's there because he has a bad feeling. We, I mean, that goes without saying, Angel. Of course, that's why you're there uh, to give her bad news. But Buffy knows that because she sa she snaps at him and she says, Angel comes with bad news, you know? And Angel's like, oh, okay, this attitude, I'm not staying. So he goes to leave and Buffy realizes that she's moody and she apologizes just like she apologized earlier to Willow. 
for snapping. And she says she's having a bad day from something at school. And Angel asks if it's about career week. And she's like, how do you know? And he says, I lurk. <laughs> and again, this comes back to that angel humor we were talking about in Lie to Me. Like, it's just really, really well done with him sometimes. Yeah, it, it's great humor. And also, I think the interesting thing about this scene is it's a little bit meta. The characters are acknowledging how they act on the show, right? Buffy is calling out that Angel's a fuckboy who only shows up when she's in danger and gives her vague warnings, right? And Angel is (laughs) signposting how he lurks all the time and, like, spies (laughs) on her, right? So, like, the scene is being very explicit and acknowledging how these characters have been interacting up until this point in the show, which I think is this episode's way of telling us that finally... Buffy and Angel's relationship is going to move forward into different territory because they're saying this is how things have been up until this point. But in this episode or the next couple of episodes, their relationship will actually cohere into something different. And that makes me very happy (laughs) and this is the thing like even like up until now in this conversation we still got half the scene to go but uh we're seeing the progression and how they're speaking to Mm -hmm. each other buffy called angel out for only coming with bad news and angel was like you're snapping at me right so they're they're actually having like a conversation about this now instead of just like you know being melodramatic and being like i want to die and run away right (laughs) buffy actually apologizes after that she's like you're right i'm sorry and then she's like i've had a tough day you know weight of the world yeah she's confiding in him and it's nice to see so as she's confiding in him she's looking at his reflection his non-reflection in the mirror because angel is a vampire and does not cast reflections but she's saying she wants a normal life like she had before and just showing angel in the mirror shows hey you're that's not normal (laughs) that's very strange and angel does say oh you mean before me Uh, He's turning it around to their relationship, which is actually nice because Buffy says he's the one freaky thing in her freaky world that makes sense to her. And she's just upset and wishes that they could be regular kids. A regular kid and her cradle robbing creature of the night boyfriend. So two things there. One, she called him a boyfriend. Cute. (laughs) Other thing she called him was a cradle robber. Not so cute. (laughs) And please, can we save the age gap conversation to a later date? I beg you. I I am happy to postpone that. No problem. Let's postpone that to a little bit later. Um, I have to build up what I'm going to say. Oh, okay. (laughs) I've been preparing for that already, but I need more time. So Angel's amused by what she said. uh, And he sees a picture of of her as a figure skater when she was a kid. And Buffy says she used to worship... Dorothy Hamill, a pro figure skater at the time. And skating was an escape for her when her parents were fighting. So, like, look at these two just sharing life stories, sharing, confiding in each other, building trust together. It's nice. And Angel would understand Buffy's feeling of being misplaced and feeling like she can't uh, be part of the world she's supposed to be in. Because, I mean, Angel's a vampire, so he feels the same way. Well, and he can't have a regular job, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's got he lives a different lifestyle. That's when Angel, I think, does the sweetest thing I've seen on the show so far. And he invites her to go on a date that Tuesday night 
to the skating rink, which is closed on Tuesdays. And my first question is, why do they need to break and enter on the night it's closed when they could just go when it's open? (laughs) Like, that's a bit unclear. But the other thing is just that I genuinely smiled (laughs) during this part of the scene when I was watching because I love skating and I love them. And I think this was just really, really cute thing for him to say, you know, like you need a break. You like skating. It helps you like escape your problems. Let me take you skating. Absolutely. Very sweet. Good job, Angel. Another 10 out of 10 from you. (laughs) So Cordy and Xander are looking at the career board, which is posted outside. It's so weird that the results are posted so anybody can come and see them. Like, we already know that Sunnydale High has a problem with bullying. And I just feel like this is like giving candy to a baby. (laughs) Like, it's just, it's just, why would they share these results? So Cordelia, her results say that she would either be a personal shopper or a motivational speaker. And I love that for her. I think it makes total sense. I, I'm, I'm obsessed with that. Well, yes, because she's she's obviously good at picking out clothes and stuff. And also, as far as motivational speeches go, she's very good at ignoring reality and just telling people what they want to hear. Yeah. and But you know what, though? You notice that a lot of the things that she tells people about their clothes is kind of true. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little meaner than it needs to be, but... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's when Cordy checks Xander's answer, and then she just laughs and walks away. And it's such a funny scene. Like, Cordy's laugh is, like, everything. Uh, And Xander's like, what is it? What? And they don't tell us what it is, because that's when Willow and Buffy are walking onto the quad talking about Buffy's upcoming skating date so fucking cute I can't I cannot with the skating date it's such a good idea uh Xander joins them and says he got prison guard and they laugh Buffy says crossing guard maybe (laughs) but at least you'll be on the right side of the bars so they're making fun of him but I also just want to point out that there's nothing wrong with being a prison guard (laughs) like it's a good job right but (laughs) do we think Xander's telling the truth here what do you mean Maybe he's lying about what job he got. Lies. <laughs> he's embarrassed because Cordelia laughed, right? So maybe it was something worse, like sanitation worker. Again, oh. nothing wrong with being a sanitation worker, no. but just in terms of the high school hierarchy. Work is work. That's, oh, that's very interesting. Okay, yeah. I can see him lying about it for sure. Xander then says that Buffy also got law enforcement professional, basically a police person. And Buffy's annoyed, but then she sees Giles from across the quad and says she has to go talk to him. She has to check in with him every day after homeroom. When she leaves, Willow asks Xander what she got, and Xander says that she wasn't on the list, which Willow finds very alarming because Willow is a school person and demands results. Yeah, the (laughs) one person who actually cared wasn't on the list. So in the library, Giles is carrying a lot of books, and he says that he was indexing the Watcher Diaries. Like, how many Watcher Diaries are there? Remember, we think this is a euphemism now, right? Cross-referencing, indexing. He was probably doing something super shady in his office. (laughs) He was snorting coke in his car before carrying all those books into the library. Uh (laughs) <laughs> it's and he says it's amazing how numbingly pompous and long-winded these watchers were and buffy says color me stunned <laughs> i just really love that exchange like i said the dialogue in this episode i really enjoyed buffy tells him that she saw the vamps stealing the whatever it was from the mausoleum and giles asks if she saw what they took and then kind of gets mad he's like you made no effort to find out 
And Buffy says a very 90s thing where she says, have a cow, Giles. Uh, (laughs) I haven't heard that expression in forever. I know. I love it. I'm bringing it back. She says it was she didn't think it was a big deal. And Giles starts lecturing her about being more thorough in her observations. And I was like, Giles, like she's 16. Are you just on her case because Jenny broke up with you last week? And now all the students know that you used to have orgies when you're young. Like, why are you on her case about this? You know, so Buffy says, if you don't like how I do my job, then hire someone else. Oh, wait, because as long as I'm alive, there's no one else. And I don't have to be the slayer. I could be dead. And finally, Buffy is starting to use the fact that she already died to save the world. And she's using it to defend herself. And we've said this before, like a couple times we're, we're saying Buffy does not bring up the fact that she already died as the Slayer. Mm-hmm. And that's her, been her whole character arc this season, but she never brings it up. So here she is saying it. And it actually works because Giles doesn't find this amusing and he eases up a little bit. He, he softens his approach. Yeah, again, I think it would be very easy for somebody to read this scene as just another Giles-Buffy banter scene where Giles is being a little too hard on her and Buffy's asking him to ease up because she's just a teenager and she wants a normal life. Like, we've we've seen this scene before, mm-hmm. but we also haven't seen this scene before. And I, it's just something that was running through my head the whole time I was watching this episode is there is a way to read this episode very shallowly and not allow yourself to pick up on how different this episode is from past episodes. So it's almost like, you know, you said you you watched this episode twice, Steph, and honestly, I think you might have benefited from that in a way I didn't because I only watched it once because there's so much going on in these scenes that you really need to pay attention to how this is different from previous Mm -hmm. Buffy Giles scenes like this. So you've already made some great points. One thing I will just add is that this is different because at the moment, there is no specific existential threat hanging over Buffy's head. In the past, especially season one with the Master, there was like the Harvest, and then there was like the Three, and you know, there was always like something was happening that was threatening Sunnydale or the Hellmouth or Buffy personally. The difference in this scene is that the tension's happening because they don't know what the threat is and Mm -hmm. so we don't really know at this point is this a threat to buffy herself is this a threat to the hellmouth like we don't know at this point and that's what makes this so interesting it's very vague yeah yeah and um, once again the audience gets to find out what's going on before our heroes do Mm -hmm. so so yeah so the scene ends off with um buffy just being a little bit more morose you know saying like what does it matter like oh uh, like my life what does it matter so eeyore either way they still need to find out what the vamps are up to cut to the vamps spike and Drusilla are looking at the cross that was stolen the night before so it was a giant cross and spike is saying when Drusilla's feeling better they'll have a coronation and a big party but again buffy has brought up the transcriber guy says that the slayer could be trouble and that's when spike gets up and he starts pacing and (laughs) he started like to me like dr seussing like it just sounded very like rhythmic and 
poetic. So he says, like, she's the gnat in my ear and the grizzle in my teeth and the bloody thorn in my spine. And he starts spewing out these poems and or this like this type of rhetoric and not obsessed at all. And also, like, who would have thought that Spike, William the Bloody, could spew these kind of lines like this this poetry who knew indeed <laughs> so anyway yeah his when he started saying like that i say it to dr seussing because it really reminded me of the grinch which is my favorite christmas movie <laughs> but like <laughs> is that because you identify with the grinch stuff absolutely oh my gosh yes if i were to pick any <laughs> cartoon character to be or the jim carrey version like <laughs> i'd be the grinch well i hope by the end of doing this podcast with me your heart is no longer two sizes too small <laughs> yeah it'll grow t- three times <laughs> but yeah just to go off our grinch idea then spike got an idea an awful idea spike had a wonderful awful idea <laughs> he and drew decide they're going to summon the order of taraka the bounty hunters to take care of the slayer <gasps> Because once again, Spike, Buffy's not doing anything to you. Yeah, they're well, on to you because your transcriber got caught, but they're not really like. We're why? starting to get like deja vu here, right? About the master. You know, the master's in his lair. Yeah. And he's being foiled again by the slayer. I'm I'm the poet now. Um, <laughs> and the, you know, Drusilla is flipping over her tarot cards and she's like, three are gonna come to the party. And so immediately outsourcing to this dangerous group, the Order of Taraka, three people. I was thinking of the three from season one, right? Like this is just play for play. This is like the master sending the three off after Buffy, even to the point of like Angel having to like help her out against one of them. So it's like, you know, Spike, I think, is unintentionally falling back on like the classic villain playbook. Which isn't going to go well for him. It's not. And that's the thing, too. So, like, Drew says that the three will come. She turns over the tarot cards. There's one that's a one-eyed monster. There's a centipede and a jaguar. (laughs) So, at the career fair, Xander tells Willow that Buffy and Giles went on a field trip. And again, this is Giles, the librarian, taking a young female student off campus in his car. Aren't they afraid that someone's going to see them? (laughs) So Willow says Principal Snyder's going to get pissed, which is, of course, when Principal Snyder comes up to them looking for Buffy. And he's pissed. Yeah, he's pissed. And Xander starts talking out of of his ass and saying, like, what a great career week, sir. Now I want to go to principal school to fill in your shoes, not your actual shoes, because you're a tiny person. (laughs) Like, stop talking. And Snyder says to Xander, whatever comes out of your mouth is a meaningless waste of breath. An airborne toxic event. (laughs) Yes, pop off Snyder. That's so funny. Well, and also like these days, if an administrator spoke to a student (laughs) like that, well, well, at least a white student, they would get in trouble. Like, you know, the, the parents would be suing the school board. Oh, oh, they would come for his head. But I just found that very satisfying. Like, we're supposed to watch this and hate Snyder. But because you and I have been progressing all the way through the series and Xander has been a total trash bag, that when he gets to say this to him, it's just so fun. It's like awesome. And Xander says, thanks for being honest with me. Hopefully I'm in a position one day where I can be honest with you. So Xander's getting a little bite as well. Snyder says, fascinating. (laughs) 
and walks away. And Xander goes off to go to his career week placement. And I don't really understand what the point of this scene was. Right? Like, uh, I like, yeah, it's great to see Snyder. It's great to see him and Xander have this exchange. Yeah, I think it was to reinforce the fact that once again, Buffy's Slayer duties have taken priority over her school duties. And it's Mm. showing us that Snyder sees Buffy through the lens of a high school delinquent when she's really not. But that's an impression that she's creating with this authority figure because of her absence and her poor academic performance in school. So this, this, this scene is just reminding us of Buffy's standing at school and how that could complicate her life going forward. I agree. So in this odd but also wonderful scene, uh, two men in suits come up to Willow and say, come with us, let's talk. They lead her into a curtained area in a back room, or I guess in that student lounge area that we sometimes see. There's classical music playing and hors d'oeuvres or canapes and this is the this is the show that taught me the word canapes <laughs> but i also want to say that whenever i see hors d'oeuvres like i wrote it here in my notes hors d'oeuvres i want to say whores divorce <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone is out there who feels the same way they're horse divorce to us so Willow is being recruited by the world's leading software company, who they do not name. And they say that they've been tracking her for some time and they're really selective. And only one other Sunnydale student fit the criteria. And Willow turns around and who is sitting on the couch behind her? Cordelia. Cordelia. <laughs> I wish. Uh, Oz. Oz is there, and he's staring at a plate of whore's divorce. And uh, Willow goes and sits on the opposite side of the couch as him, looking shy and kind of awkward. And he looks over, and he immediately recognizes her as the girl that he's been seeing around at the inappropriate cultural dance. And then on, on Halloween, as the slut. And now here she is in her cute little typical willow schoolgirl outfit and his like eyes pop open he's like oh my god it's her and then he offers her a canopy so oh my god yes <laughs> they're meeting they're finally yeah. meeting i'm i'm 100 on board i love this um however i'm not 100 sure why this was the reason that they met <laughs> Like why they had to meet in this private curtained off area other than to show that Oz is also quite smart. I definitely think that's part of it because so far Oz's persona has been leaning towards the stereotype of like a a kind of a burnout, right? The way he dresses, kind of the laid back mellow way he speaks, he's in a band. So this scene does belie that and show us that there's much more to Oz than meets the eye. I think that's great. Also, you'll notice throughout this episode, the episode is working very hard to remind us of Willow's book smarts and juxtapose Buffy's lack of a professional future with Willow's promising potential, like you mentioned earlier in the episode. So this is one scene that does that. Mm, Good point. There's another scene later on when they're all in the library and Willow gets super excited about a late night of doing research. And again, that's just there to remind us, because in that same scene, Buffy's like, I'm not good at research. You know, it's to remind us that Willow has a future. Buffy does not. That's an excellent point. Great observation. At the cemetery during the day, Buffy is out walking with Giles. uh, And they're clearly still squabbling. 
And Giles says that she's being immature. And Buffy says, yeah, because I'm a teenager. <laughs> People seem to forget, but this episode reminds us, Buffy's 16, so she's going to be like this sometimes. And she also says that his criticism was too harsh. And she reminds him that she didn't pick this gig. And Giles says it's more than a gig, it's a sacred duty. And it shouldn't prevent her from gaining some sort of employment in the future like he has. Okay, Giles, you're talking out of your ass here. Because this is your, as far as we know, maybe he has a secret past where he's like, watched three other slayers die i don't know but <laughs> this is his first time being a watcher to an actual slayer and you don't know anything giles you're just pretending like you're the expert in this scene but you don't know what life is like for a 16 year old slayer also giles you're saying that being a slayer shouldn't prevent her from a normal life okay but you're dragging her out of school Ooh, to go yes. walk around a cemetery librarian <laughs> right so Anyway, <laughs> uh, Buffy says, yeah, librarian and watcher go hand in hand. What's she supposed to do? And Giles does point out, like he doesn't finish his sentence. He says, point taken. He's never thought dot, dot, dot. And you and I just said, like, Giles, what do you know? And clearly you don't know because watchers don't really think about Slayer's futures at all. They're usually mm. one and done. As we said, yeah. Buffy already died. <laughs> she brought that up to you probably half an hour ago in the car again. <laughs> so Giles suggests law enforcement. Buffy just stares. Good thing they're already at the mausoleum. She just points at it. She's like, enough. Like, it's right there. So when they get inside, Giles says it's a reliquary used to house items of religious significance, most commonly fingers or some other body part from a saint. Or hoax items that claim <laughs> to be part of a saint and actually aren't. Yeah, ooh. <laughs> And Buffy says, note to self, religion, freaky. And I was like, absolutely, Buffy, 100%. Giles notices that it's the tomb of Joseph Dulac. Dulac? Dulac? He was part of a religious sect, excommunicated by the Vatican at the turn of the century, and the book that was stolen by a vampire a few weeks ago was... Dulocs! <gasps> Can you believe this? It's all coming together. Oh my god! Also, Duloc is the name of Lord Farquaad's city in Shrek. <laughs> just, <laughs> just a little fun tidbit Thanks for the trivia for all you Shrek fans out there. <laughs> this book contains rituals and spells. It's an archaic Latin, though. But now the vampires are stealing things from his tomb. They may have figured it out. Oh, my God. What are they going to do? So cut to the Sunnydale bus stop where Ampata was murdered a few weeks ago. Rest in peace. Hey, we never followed up with that because wouldn't an international student getting murdered in America be a really big deal? <laughs> Probably happens all the time. It's true. I mean, my impression of America is that's a very violent place. <laughs> sorry, not sorry, listeners. No one forced on potter to go so um a large man with a blind eye and a giant scar steps off the bus and i'm sorry like i know that, so this is one of the assassins that spike and drew were talking mm -hmm. about because he was on the tarot card but i'm sorry the fact that he's arriving by bus is really funny to me and actually in fact all these assassins are really funny to me because cut to buffy's house where an accountant looking bank worker looking man <laughs> stares at her house and then walks to the next door neighbor's house and knocks on the door the woman enters and he says his name is norman fister 
I know. I know, Steph. I'm dying. I can't. Norman Fister with blush, beautiful skincare. And he, he wants to show her free samples. And I just died. I laughed. Oh, my God. It's so funny. Norman. I'm very, very surprised <laughs> that that name got past the network censors. I'm surprised this badass assassin, this this Order of Taraka, has this one assassin arrived by bus, and this other assassin announced that his name is Norman Fister. <laughs> so, well, the, the, this is the brilliance, the brilliance of the show, right? Is it's like <laughs> that's how these assassins succeed? Is they are the people you would least expect, right? Like, this guy doesn't that, look like he's going to kill you. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so. Not at all. Not at all. Um, but could he be the scariest villain we've seen yet on the show? Time will tell. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, cut to Sunnydale Airport, where an airport baggage handler is opening that bottom compartment area of the plane. I don't know what it's called, baggage. And notices someone is back there. That certain someone kicks his ass and then shows herself. And it's a beautiful black woman with these hoop earrings, crop top, and shiny maroon pants. Um, she's creeping out of the plane. So this is clearly the what we would think is the jaguar on the tarot card. Like, I'm like we we just made fun of uh, Mr. Fister and the bus boy, but she looks badass. This one. So cut to the library. Buffy is sitting with Xander, Willow, and Giles, and Willow asks if the proper verb is slayed or slew when you're talking about what a slayer did, and Giles says both are correct. I have a grammar background, but I didn't even I don't know this answer, so I'm just gonna trust Giles and say yeah. Yeah. English is weird. <laughs> it's very strange. <laughs> so Giles is giving exposition on Duloc and uh, how he invented something called the Duloc Cross. <laughs> and Xander says he would have called it the Crossomatic or Mr. Cross. And everyone just stares at him. So I'm just saying Xander does this a couple times until it gets too much for a certain somebody. Giles ignores him here and says the cross is used to understand mystical texts and decipher hidden meanings. And Duloc had destroyed every cross except for his own. And Giles wants to learn what is in that book before they can create a plan, which means that they're going to be up late that night. Willow says, ooh, goody research party, <laughs> which is what you pointed out earlier. And Xander does say here, like, Willow, you need a life in the worst way. But I think it's done in a way that, like you had said in Lie to Me, sometimes Xander points things out about Willow that are actually, he finds endearing. Comes across as an insult. Yeah, I, I agree. That's how I interpreted that. So Buffy wants to bail because she has that adorable skate date tonight. Don't forget. But her excuse is that she lacks in the book area. And Xander backs it up and says, but Buffy, you get the snacks, right? And I don't think this is true, Buffy. I know you're just using it as an excuse to get out of things, but mm -hmm. but you've proven that you're actually quite good at research. So, And I think it's cute that, again, like Xander's trying to be supportive in this scene, mm -hmm. right? Like he's trying to tell Buffy that she's wanted and valuable in this, probably because he doesn't want to do this alone with Giles and Willow, but yeah, you know, it's, again, it's Xander's being nice here. And I just wanted to point that out. Well, there you go for people who want us to be nicer to him. Willow comes up with a plan for Buffy because they share a look and Willow's a really good friend. And she just suggests that Buffy should gather her strength instead and be a fierce fighter 
what for the battle ahead and she's so good at thinking on her feet i know i know and she's being a great friend and giles agrees with this and this is when xander also kind of freaks out when he sees buffy leaving on one hand it's like xander just you're right doesn't want to be alone obviously more people researching the faster this thing will go and Mm-hmm. So that's that. But on the other hand, we've seen Xander do this before in the past when Buffy wanted to go to the frat party instead of staying in and researching with Giles and Willow. Xander tried to cock block her then too. So I can't help, based on the evidence, that Xander might also just not want Buffy to go. That's a good point. Assuming that he knows about the date, which I don't know. Yeah, it's unclear if he's really aware of what's going on, but... We could assume he probably knows. I think he knows, and uh, he's at, like, zero credit with me. (laughs) So that's why Mm. I I can't help but think that. So, yay, it's the skating scene! It's the skate date! This is the strangest scene in this episode, and I'm saying this, you know, thinking of a few other scenes, (laughs) like the bug scene, which I hated. (laughs) Um, This is the strangest scene. This is the most bizarre scene in this episode. You know, okay, so we have a listener named Veronica. Hi, Veronica. Hi, Veronica. She sent us a few questions ahead of this recording about What's My Line Part 1 and Part 2. And the one for Part 1 was, what did we think of the skating? And I don't know if you knew this, Cara, but I used to figure skate. I figure skated for 15 years. I did know this because we used to work together at the art gallery. So I learned a lot of things about you, Steph. I'm glad that you remembered. I'm very flattered. So uh, if, Veronica, if your question is, what do we think of the skating in general? Uh, It's not great. (laughs) That's just me being honest and coming from somebody who, from a technical standpoint, knows a lot about the sport. Sarah Michelle Geller, I think, did used to figure skate, uh, but she obviously didn't get too far in her training. She probably went on to acting or whatever. But for for a beginner, she's fine. She She's able to go forward and backward. It's more than I can do. <laughs> yeah, she does like edge work on one leg. She does a couple of cross cuts. She does a lot of three turns, like a lot of three turns. But no, I don't think she's a good skater. Yeah, and... I was watching this very closely as well, Mm -hmm. not because I know anything about the technical work of skating, Mm -hmm. but I was curious. I wanted to see if I could tell if they were using a double for any of the the montage, because I I was just like, is that Sarah Michelle Gellar doing this whole thing? Or, you know, some of the some of the shots were from a distance. And I'm like, oh, is that a double? I couldn't really tell. And that might be the non HD footage. But what do you think, Steph? When you are a skater, you have a style. Like everyone skates in their own way, right? So I was watching that and then there is one shot where it's just her legs and she does this mohawk edge turn, which is a little bit more complicated than the three turns that she was showing us earlier, which makes me think that that might have been a little bit too complicated Mm -hmm. for what Sarah Michelle Gellar is capable of on ice. However, why would they just hire a double just to do that one thing? Like let her do like an axle or something, you know? That just brings up the point of like, why do we have this scene at all? You know, and if it were just that the episode was running short and they needed filler, that that wouldn't justify this scene because this scene must have been incredibly difficult to film. You know, when you think about the number of camera setups you would need for all those different shots, yeah. the close ups, the far, the wide shots. The, you know, the fact that you have to keep the ice fresh between takes, <laughs> like. This must have been one of the most time-consuming scenes of this entire shoot. Why is it here? I personally believe that Sarah Michelle Gellar said that she could skate 
and they were like, all right, off you go. That's my personal belief. So if Veronica, if your question was, what do I think technically of the skating? There it is. But if you're asking, what did we think of it and why is it in the show? I think it's because Buffy already told Angel that skating was her escape. That's where she would go to get away from okay. the trauma of her parents fighting. So I think it's just a callback to her feeling free and away from the world. And it's where she can just kind of like mellow out and be at peace for a little bit. So on the inside of the, sh like, you know, the actor and the creators of the show, Sarah Michelle Gellar was probably like, I can skate. And they're like, let's get her out there. And they probably weren't figure skating judges and we're like, amazing. <laughs> like, do another three turn. Do more. <laughs> um, okay, so bringing it back to the Buffy first. <laughs> yeah, so Buffy is, she does a very strange, like, butt fall. Like, she... I know, it's like she meant to do it, but like, why? It would have made more sense for her to actually fall and slide into the boards, you know? But she literally was like, I'm gonna do this! And like, <laughs> like I've fallen while skating, obviously, so like, that's not how you you do it. Uh, but anyway, she falls. She, she does it on her own, but she falls. And uh, she's next to the boards, and that's when the one-eyed busboy grabs her from behind by the neck, starts choking her, and Angel runs up behind her. Uh, he's wearing his vamp face, and he throws the guy off her, and they start fighting. And Buffy comes and cuts the guy's neck with her skate. That was always my fear about skating, by the way. Yeah, and I've seen girls get their hands skated over <laughs> don't tell me this Steph. i saw a girl get clipped in the face when someone was spinning it's yeah this is this is <laughs> one of the reasons one of the many reasons why i have not been skating since i was a little girl uh, well i did not do those things on purpose i promise you <laughs> why would you even say that I'm now kidding. i'm thinking you have it wasn't me <laughs> nobody can prove it you can't prove it you, the lawyers couldn't prove it so <laughs> you cannot say that figure skating is not a dangerous sport this episode proves that uh what an epic death what a great way to kill somebody however i do want to say that just like the three how useless are these assassins <laughs> <laughs> right and like giles mentions this later on and he, you know he's talking them up just like with the three <laughs> And I'm just like, they're not seeming that impressive so far, Giles. No, it's like they drop like flies. Like, this is no big deal. So anyway, anyway, Drusilla is in bed with Spike and she turns over the one-eyed monster card. Uh, but don't worry, the bug card and the jaguar card are still there. Angel is investigating the guy. He sees his ring. And I like this line because he says, do you know what this is? And Buffy says, he was a Super Bowl champ. <laughs> Good one, Buffy. Angel says Buffy is in danger and he's like really serious about it. And he says she needs to go home and wait until she hears from him. Buffy is injured in some way. Her knee is hurt. And I don't remember when her knee got hurt. Perhaps it was when she did her own butt fall <laughs> on the ice. I think that was it. Yeah. So Buffy notices that there's a cut on Angel's face and he's really antsy while she starts to fuss over him. And he says he just doesn't want her to touch him when he's like this, a demon, a vampire. And Buffy says she didn't even notice. And they start to make out with his vamp face on. And I do, I think that's very sweet. Obviously, smoochies between those two. I'm here for it. But mm -hmm. I, I will say that Angel's vamp face doesn't do it for me. <laughs> and I... Well, you don't have to look at him while you do things to him. I, I think just... 
just like you're saying figure skating makes you nervous because you're afraid you'll get hurt by those blades i would be afraid that he would bite my face that the my my tongue or my I, lips i mean some people are into that right <laughs> See, exhibit spike and drusilla i just i want angel face angel that's what i want All right. so as they make out the airport girl is watching from afar at the library, Buffy's showing Giles the ring, and he says that it's the Order of Taraka, a society of assassins dating back to King Solomon, and thereafter Buffy. And Xander... Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> Whoop-de-doo. Like, big deal, eh? <laughs> that guy got taken out so easily. And Xander says, didn't they beat the Elks in the Sunnydale Adult Bowling League Championship? And Giles says something else, and Xander interrupts once again, and this is when Giles literally shouts, that's enough, Xander. And it's really harsh, and everyone feels it because we get to see everyone's reaction to that. And Giles does say he's sorry, but it's not a time for jokes. I think this was also kind of the culmination of something I noticed throughout the episode, which is that Xander's quips were particularly unfunny in this episode, right from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like we saw, you know, with his young and stupid comment, no reaction, Buffy and Willow didn't really say anything. And it just, it kept going throughout this episode. You know, we saw it in the last scene in the library where they were kind of ignoring him. So for Giles to finally like snap and say something, I think what they were trying to do was establish that, you know, in the past, Xander has tried to use humor to lighten the mood. And the episode is not letting him get away with it in this case, because we're supposed to understand that this is a very serious threat. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know how serious it is, but, you know, I I think it's very appropriate and good that the show has finally called out Xander's inappropriately timed humor. Yes, and it was Giles, which is so satisfying, who's also probably coming down from his cocaine high from earlier that day. (laughs) So Giles says they need to find a safe place for Buffy to hide until they figure out a plan. And Buffy says, okay, so you and Angel are both really wigged out by this. Like, don't they think that she's strong enough to fight these assassins? Which she kind of proved that she was because she already took one out. But Giles says that they're unlike like vampires they don't have earthly desires other than to collect their bounty so they're basically like predator the movie like they just they're just there to hunt and uh they'll find their target they'll eliminate it as many as buffy kills another will come and they won't stop until the job is done they work alone in their own way some are human some are not so this is a common trope in speculative fiction is the honorable assassin so the assassin who will once they take a job they will always get the job done that is what they're known for and and it makes sense for that to be like really scary and threatening we're going to see this in the next scene i I think really the only harsh part of this order of taraka is the fact that we don't know who they are Mm -hmm. right like they could be anybody and we'll see that in buffy's reaction in the next scene but i agree with you and myself that (laughs) As far as, like, their actual threat goes, it doesn't seem like it's much. And I think maybe the show could have probably done a better job of establishing how dangerous these assassins are to Buffy. So far, they've really just established that they're annoying. Yeah. And, like, I mean, earlier you made a really excellent point because we were laughing at (laughs) Norman Fister. (laughs) But you did say, like, hey, he looks like a normal person right and that's part of the threat and it's kind of like the the element of surprise is really big with these assassins yeah that's the part i think is credible okay but before we get to the scene showing us that mm-hmm. we cut to 
the the house of Buffy's neighbor, who unfortunately is lying dead on the floor, and it's Norman, (laughs) and there's so many bugs... I don't know if they're worms or maggots, and I'm like... Oh, I was counting on you to tell me. I was like, are they maggots? <laughs> like, what are they? I couldn't tell. Okay. I think they were like worms, because they seemed a little bit too colorful to be maggots, but that might have just been the color correction. Yeah. Um, I have a weird thing about bugs where it's like, I don't have, really have like a phobia of them, but... And it might have just been like the special effects themselves and kind of the, the uncanny value, but especially when it's like the, the shot pans up and we see... Uh, Norman is looking through the window at Buffy's house with binoculars. So he's he's the kind of assassin who w- lies in wait and does his research. Mm-hmm. And then we see him hold up his arm, but it's incomplete. <laughs> and then we see a hokey CGI effect where his arm ends in these maggot worm things. And they just kind of like crawl upwards to form a column that turns into the rest of his arm and fingers. I think it's the special effect itself that really creeps me out. Not so much the bugs themselves, but just the the idea of them transforming into his hand. Um, I have a a thing about holes in people as well. Um, But then he uses this newly formed hand to pick up a cup of tea and sip from it very daintily. And I'm just thinking like, okay, so is this guy totally composed of bugs (laughs) does he have a working digestive system like yeah we don't get into the physics of norman fister and it just bothers (laughs) me we need to know more about norman fister (laughs) but the thing is it's like i i agree with you in that it is very creepy it's a very creepy concept obviously the tech at the time probably couldn't pull it off as they would nowadays but the idea of yeah this like worm man is a is a terrifying thought. Oh, I'm gonna have nightmares. Tonight. Yeah, <laughs> a, I'm gonna have nightmares about the name Fister <laughs> as opposed to the worms. But no, like I just I agree. Um, I just I I'll have more to say about Norman in the future. Okay. In the hallway, Buffy's mega paranoid because Giles instilled a fear in her about these assassins. The fact that they can be anybody. So. When you're paranoid, literally everyone is a threat to you and everyone looks like they're giving you dirty looks. And she passes through the crowd and she's getting more and more agitated. And that's when poor Oz is walking by her. She grabs him by the throat, throws him against the wall, and she says, try it. And he says, try what? <laughs> like, really relaxed. And she's like, oh, sorry. And he's so chill. I know. He's just like, what, what am I trying? <laughs> And um, Buffy's embarrassed and she walks away and Oz just says, that is a tense person. Right? He's not upset. Like, I love Oz so much. Just like, huh. And like, Oz needs to hurry up and get with Willow so that Oz and Willow can go on a double date with Buffy and Angel. Because wouldn't that be perfect? Like, I think Oz would be so chill with Angel, unlike Xander. Like, they'd just get along because they're both men of few words. Oh, I want nothing more than to see that double date so on the streets at night Buffy's walking to her house but it looks spooky and dark and lonely so she opts out I also do think that that magic fairy uh that we talk about sometimes that Buffy ends up in the right place at the right time it also works in the opposite way where she actually like I think that her slayer instincts kicked in with her she's like this isn't safe I don't feel safe here so she leaves yeah in the library Willow Giles and 
Xander are trying to figure out what was in that book and Willow comments that she'd never seen Buffy like that before where she just kind of took off and uh, Xander says she tried he tried her at home but she didn't answer the phone and it's statistically impossible for a teenage girl to unplug her phone so they just know she's not there (laughs) it's funny Giles says perhaps he was too alarming in what he told her and Xander says you think and Giles gives him the dirtiest look. And Willow does reason. She says, hey, she needed to know. She needed to take it seriously. We we just wish we knew where she was. Cut to Buffy, who has obviously gone where any sane woman would go to seek refuge in this situation. And she goes to Angel's basement loft. And- Which, again, is he in the phone book? Or did he <laughs> tell her at some point where he lives? Because it seems like everybody can find his place. I think Giles told Xander who told Buffy. Is what I think is what happened. And uh, I just want to say that I had a basement loft that I lived in for a year. And it wasn't as nice as Angel's. But it did make me feel closer to him. So Buffy is checking out his room just like he was checking out her room earlier in the episode. And she goes and sits on his bed and she goes to sleep. Uh, But where is Angel? So Angel has gone to what looks like your typical Thunder Bay pub. Ooh, burn. And Angel approaches the owner. His name's Willie. (laughs) I'm sorry. I just realized now that we met a Norman Fister and a Willie in the same so i like willie better he's uh he's a good character and i like he comes back so i like him yeah he's a he's uh he's a shifty one (laughs) so he recognizes angel and he seems afraid of him and i don't blame him because this is the most this scene is the most intimidating that we've ever seen angel in my opinion he's tall he's dark he's handsome but he's also being a broody detective and he's switching yeah. on this like side of him that makes him a little bit more intimidating and more serious. No, I kind of it. feel like David Boreanaz doesn't quite sell it well enough, though. It's Ooh. kind of campy. Two perspectives. I can see how how this scene becomes very like film noir. You know, guy like, goes to a I, guy in I a bar. I think it's a nice scene because we're getting to see that side of Angel. Like we've only seen him as a gentle creature, so mm-hmm. I agree with you in that sense. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the acting. I don't think, because this is kind of his first time doing it, Mm. I don't think he's quite figured out that part to him. I definitely think that changes very quickly. Like by the end of the season, for sure. And obviously when we go off into the actual Angel series, I think he gets better. But for this scene, I think his performance is just lacking a little bit. Okay, And that's a very fair observation because like you just said, I sometimes think about Angel and how I remember him from the future. So... That's I get caught up in that for sure. But I, I know that this is like we're seeing Detective Angel here and I'm living for it to see him like this. So mm-hmm. that being said, Angel says he needs information and Willie says he's away from that whole scene and he's living right now and he treats the vamps good. And this is <laughs> another little glimpse. And we talked about this in the Dark Age. Another little glimpse into the underbelly of Sunnydale. And that's where the demon world is prosperous. <laughs> There's a lot yeah. going on. And this is an establishment run by a human. We well, we assume Willie's a human right now, uh, where demons, vampires, and p- presumably other humans can come and have a drink. And there's some sort of understanding that the bar, at least the bartender is safe. The owner, Willie, is safe from that. And he also collects secrets at the same time. So just another mm, world building I, I agree dynamic. with you. Mm-hmm. I wrote the same thing in my notes. We're seeing the underworld of Sunnydale here. 
And it's nice because it's showing us that Sunnydale is not just a high school, a hospital, cemeteries, and Angel and Buffy and stuff. Like, there's this whole aspect to the town that we don't get to see right now because of the age of our protagonists. Mm -hmm. But as they get older, hopefully we will see more of Sunnydale. Um, You know, because, like, when you're young, high school is the center of your life. And you might go to the mall and you might go to a couple of other places and then as you get older as an ad- as an adult because your time is more flexible and you often have more mobility you tend to go more places like the city kind of opens up for you and i think that's what we're seeing here is often our perspective on sunnydale is very restricted to the high school and a few other locations the fact that the episode has now followed angel gives us an opportunity to see a very different side of Sunnydale. And it's definitely adding depth to the lore of the series. Yeah, that's such a good point. You're right, because especially the first couple seasons of Buffy, high school life, right? But here we are in an adult bar. Ooh, so. Yeah, it's definitely not the bronze. It's, it's well, <laughs> that's true, actually. We see adult bars all the time, if the bronze is to be believed as a normal bar. Uh, Angel starts getting impatient, asks if it was Spike who sent the order. Uh, he slams Willie's head violently into the bar and says he's rusty on killing humans. It's t- it may take a while. And first he resists him, but then Willie does confirm that it was Spike who sent them. And suddenly the girl, the Jaguar girl from the airport attacks Angel from behind and basically kicks his ass. Like she beats him down and she forces him into the beer cage in the back room. And Angel senses how strong she is and asks, who are you? And she just smiles and she ends up locking him in the cage. And and she speaks and she has a Jamaican accent. Mm-hmm. And it is my opinion that the actress whose name is Bianca Lawson, who's amazing, mm-hmm. I just feel like she's very uncomfortable with this accent. And I know that there's been critiques in the past that it's not a good accent, But Mm -hmm. Marty Noxon has said that they brought in a dialect coach to teach her, the actress, a very specific regional Jamaican accent, which is why it doesn't sound authentic. But a part of me also thinks that maybe that was just a cover up for her. Yeah. I don't know. I don't I'm not going to presume I know what a good accent or a bad (laughs) accent sounds like. I just know what I've read and I know that I don't think she sounds comfortable with it. That's all. Yeah, I agree. Um. If we have any Jamaican listeners, please write into us with your opinions on this. And just more generally, like, I would love to hear from black women who are fans of the show and listening to this podcast. What are your thoughts on this character? Because she does stick around and we will unpack her presence in this series as her role evolves over the next few episodes. Um, And I have some thoughts, some initial thoughts when we get to the end of the recap. But yeah, I I think it's good for us to kind of start thinking about ways in which her portrayal could be either racist or if not racist, just very stereotypical. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we can we can get there towards the end. But right now, she and Angel throw down. She locks him in a cage. And this is this should be a huge thing, right? It's like she's temporarily at least beaten Angel. (gasps) Like that doesn't happen every day. Who does she think she is? (laughs) She does tell Angel that she's looking for the girl she saw him with. So, I mean, this is a 
a serious assassin, right? Well, she thinks she's all that. Like, she's very confident. Oh, very. And Angel says, stay away from her. And then she points to an open window and says, this is Eastern exposure. The sun will be up in a few hours, enough time for her to find Buffy. Not that she knows her name. She just says your girlfriend. So she leaves. Oh, shit. She's going to dust Angel. I can't believe this. So Giles is talking to Xander on the phone in his office, and he tells him to go to Buffy's house to check up on her uh, right now. And Xander must have said, how will I get there? Because Giles suggests Cordelia drive him. And again, Sunnydale is like five streets. Xander, walk. (laughs) Walk over there. Giles comes to find Willow sleeping at her computer, and he gently wakes her up. And she's disoriented and she says, don't warn the tadpoles (laughs) and says she's got frog fear. So I just want to point out here that Giles is very gentle with Willow. It's very cute. And you can just really tell that he has a very specific and different respect for her. Like his respect level for Willow is different than the others, uh, possibly because they connect over books, right? Over research, over the love for academia. Good point. Giles had a breakthrough. The inscription from the Duloc book is a ritual to restore a weakened, sick vampire to full health. We we knew that already, Giles. Tell us something we don't know. Giles, you're always behind. Cut to the factory. The scholar vamp has transcribed exactly the same time that Giles did. And the missing link was right in front of them the whole time. Drusilla turns over her last tarot card and it's of a fallen angel. (gasps) Well, that's not going to work out because Angel's going to be dust in a few minutes here, Drusilla. I'm so sorry. You guys better fucking hurry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so cut to Cordelia and Xander approaching Buffy's house. Now this scene is kind of a doozy. So Cordelia is complaining that he woke her up so that she could drive him. And I'm just interested to know why Cordelia said yes. <laughs> I, I think I know why, but just note here that Cordelia yeah. is complaining to him, but she still did it, right? And she asks, what am I, mass transportation? And Xander says, that's what all the guys say, but it's locker room talk. So you woke Cordelia yeah. up. She drove you to Buffy's house. She didn't have to, but she did. And then you choose this moment to instead of just being like, I know it sucks to get to get up. Thanks for driving me. You slut shame her again. Yep. Xander, we know that you don't go to the locker room because A, you don't have any male friends because you can't sleep with your male friends. So why have them around, right? B, Fuck off, because Cordelia did you a favor and you're being ungrateful, just like you were being ungrateful in the Dark Age with Jenny. Like, stop. (laughs) You almost made it the whole episode without me having a rant about you. Yep, that's pretty much what I had in my notes, Steph. Wonderful. Good job. Great, great work. I love when we do this because we might disagree on this and that, but we're always (laughs) on the same page with Xander. We are united in our criticism (laughs) of Xander. Especially when he's directed at Cordy, which it so often is. So Cordy at least calls him out here and she says, now I'm your taxi and your punching bag? Yes, Cordy, call it out. Xander starts looking for a way through the window into the house. And he says, if you want to be in the Scooby gang, she has to get used to being inconvenienced once in a while. And I think this is the first time that we've heard the reference of the Scooby gang. Yeah, so I've been deliberately avoiding using that term, even though it's so well established in the Buffy lore. Like anybody who's watched the series will call them the Scoobies. And I've, I've had to like scrub it from my brain 
because I, and I don't remember when it becomes kind of the canon thing to call them. So I agree with you. I think this is kind of like an interesting like, oh, did I know before that this was the first time it's been used? Yeah, we've been waiting for this. I also have to stop myself from using that phrase because we haven't heard it. But now that we finally got to it, it's like a level up, like a level has been unlocked and we can start calling them the Scoobies instead of the gang or the trio, (laughs) which I've been doing up to this point. So Cordelia says that she, so she's saying sarcastically, do I lie awake at night hoping that they'll be my best friends? Like, no, but I think she does. And that's another reason yeah, why. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. <laughs> that's another reason why I think she got up to drive Xander yeah. two blocks to Buffy's house. She says that she d- she's not interested in being their friends, but she's protesting too much. Yes, exactly. So Cordy, we see you. We see why you're here and helping because you're a hero. Xander breaks in through the window very easily, I might add, and says that Buffy could be in trouble. And Cordy says, if she is, what are you going to do about it? You're the lamest. So of course he takes this opportunity to go up into her room Obviously. What do you think he's doing in there, Steph? Sniffing her panties. <laughs> <laughs> she might be hiding in her underwear drawer, right? <laughs> she might have been in there as a clue. Yeah, so Xander goes straight upstairs to do God knows what. And that's when we get a knock on the door. And Cordy answers it. And, <laughs> and of course, it's Norman Fister <laughs> from Blush Beautiful Skincare. And of course, Cordy lets him on in because it's free stuff. So I also want to point out that this is a very much of its time trope, right? Like these days, if somebody was going door to door in a trench coat with a big suitcase, we would not let them in. (laughs) Fuck no. No. I know. I remember it was a woman though, but my mom did have a woman at our kitchen table one time looking at products. Well, that, that, because that was how it was done, right? Is door to door salespeople was a common tactic before we had the internet. And nowadays it's, Super creepy. <laughs> yeah, and like, no, stranger danger. No way. <laughs> the sun is coming up and slowly pouring into the side of the cage where Sweet Angel is trying to break through the door, but it's not working. Buffy is rudely woken up on Angel's bed by almost getting an axe to her head. <laughs> and the girl from the airplane, uh, the Jaguar girl, is attacking her and Buffy and her start to fight. And it's a very decent fight. It is a really good fight. How did she find Buffy? Uh, How does she know where Angel lives? She's a really good assassin. (laughs) So, okay, yeah, sure. I mean, maybe she just was like tracking Angel like all day. and No, she also looked up Angel in the phone book and found him. (laughs) Oh, right. Good point. Sorry. Never mind. We've solved it. Come on. Um, Yeah, so they're fighting. And like you said, it's a really good fight. Like, again, the action in this episode never lasts long like even this fight doesn't last long. no not long enough but it, like each moment of action is very decent yeah and they're, they're pretty evenly matched and buffy is given commentary throughout and she says don't make me do the chick fight thing and she scratches her on the hand and pulls her hair yeah pulls her hair and um so the girl asks who she is and buffy says who am i you attacked me who the hell are you and that's when she says i'm kendra the vampire slayer and then buffy looks shook to be continued oh shit so my question Hmm. kendra says that like she's had her own tv show for the past two seasons so do we think there's a kendra the vampire slayer tv show out there there should be (laughs) right there should be yeah um 
Okay, so we'll get to my thoughts on Kendra so far um, in a moment. First off, who is your hero? I've chosen the entire Scooby gang rallying around Buffy, who's kind of been down this episode, all of them staying up all night to do research. Angel going out of his way to make her feel a little moment of peace by bringing her skating. Everyone rallied around her in this episode and they did their part. Even Xander and Cordy, who broke into her house looking for her. Group effort. I mean, isn't that the ultimate sign of love? <laughs> Breaking and entering. Uh, that's a great way of doing it. So if I had to choose, I'd probably do something similar. Mm -hmm. I ultimately decided since this is a cliffhanger episode, I legitimately can say I haven't chosen a hero for this episode because I feel like the episode itself is incomplete. It's really, you know, two episodes. So I will reserve my choice of hero mm -hmm. for the end of part two. Great. We'll see how things shake out. So before we get to the hot stakes, yeah. just really quickly, we haven't really learned much about Kendra yet, but I do have some initial thoughts. And like I said earlier, I'm really interested in hearing from our black listeners especially the black women who are listening to us um because obviously your lived experiences and perspectives are more valid here mm -hmm. but first off using like a cheetah or jaguar or whatever as the symbol for kendra on the tarot card seems problematic to me because it's animalizing her which not a good look when talking about black people mm-hmm and then also, like, you pointed out the accent issue staff, so there's that. And then I just want to generally call out Joss Whedon and staff for this is the first significant black character we've had on this show. It's been one and a half seasons. And, you know, we've had a couple of black extras and, you know, characters in the background and stuff. But, like, this is Southern California. This should be a more diverse population than it is. Your whiteness is showing and this is overdue. Like, I'm glad we finally have a black character with an extensive speaking role. But this just sets the bar so much higher. So I think what we'll find as we follow Kendra over the next few episodes is some of the criticism that we have for the way Kendra's role is written and portrayed is going to be because, unfortunately, she's falling into that trap of when you only have one character of a particular identity on the show... Sometimes they have to embody, like, everything about that identity, right? Mm -hmm. It would be so much less problematic if the series had already had multiple black characters or even, like, multiple racialized characters. But the series is so white right now yep. that I feel sorry for Kendra. I feel sorry for Bianca Lawson because I think she almost has, like, an impossible task ahead of her. Yep, I agree. So yeah, listeners, um, we would love to hear from you about this. I do want to say that the comparison between her and the Jaguar, it, it is a minor spoiler that obviously she's a slayer, so she's not the other assassin. But they made you believe that it was, and they insinuated that it was, because right. they figured that the audience would make that link between the Jaguar and her. That's a great point, Steph. And I, I did mean to bring that up earlier, so I'm glad that you reminded me. I love how this episode presents Kendra with the exact same weight as the Order of Taraka assassins. Yeah. So we think she's a bad guy. And it's not until literally the last line of the episode that we learn she is apparently a vampire slayer. Yeah. Which, you know, I think 
obviously people who've watched this show before know why. I think probably the very astute first-time watchers have probably put together what's going on here. But I will say this is such a clever development yes. to the Buffyverse. You know, this is an example of writers who are very dedicated and diligent at taking the consequences of the story they've created and following it to its natural conclusions. And we'll talk more about that once we actually learn what's going on, right? And yeah. uh, just like you said about the the animal portrayal, and, and I agree with you. So it'll be interesting to see in part two what happens. You know, is there an actual third assassin lurking out there? We'll find out. But I just wanted to point that out because too often black women in media are portrayed as hypersexualized and animalistic. That That's not on, right? And Sorry if I'm like jumping, like if I'm overreaching, um, that's okay too. But I, I, as a white woman, I'd rather be a little bit on the side of caution in terms of how I critique portrayals of racialized people because um, I, I think sometimes I miss too much. And, and so I'm, I'm really trying to be careful to be very sensitive to how racialized people are portrayed poorly in our media. Yeah. I agree. And I think like jumping on what you said about new watchers watching this and listening to us, I would love to know if you were super surprised that she was another vampire slayer. This is a huge reveal. It's one of the biggest reveals we've had so far. I remember from my first time watching this series how surprised I was. But this is why Buffy is so hung up on the fact that she already died for her job. Like remember we said she's bringing Mm -hmm. it up. Finally, but we know now why the writers are choosing to bring it up in this episode is to remind us that Buffy died. And here's Kendra. So. All right. We'll leave it there. Part two to come. Yeah. All right. So our first hot stake comes to us from Zoe, who wrote in to comment on the pack episode. So she says, I'm really enjoying the podcast and I can't wait for more episodes. Oh, thanks, Zoe. I found out about the podcast by a TikTok about the pack. And Woo-hoo! by the way, if you're not checking out Steph's TikToks, oh my God, <laughs> we just hit over 5,000 followers. I do almost no work on the TikToks, except sometimes you hear my voice. <laughs> Steph, you are doing so much amazing work on those TikToks. Keep it up. And if you haven't watched them yet, listeners, go to TikTok, Prophecy Girls. We are there. It's fantastic. Thank you. Anyway, sorry, Zoe, to interrupt you. Um, <laughs> Uh, Zoe continues to say, it made me think that one thing Buffy does quite a lot is a person will become possessed slash have no soul and do something horrible to Buffy or one of the other characters. This is occasionally addressed throughout the series. However, I feel like when it comes to sexual assault, like Xander in the pack, like you said, Xander doesn't apologize and we don't get to see how Buffy feels about having to see Xander and spend time with him every day. I also feel like the audience are expected to forgive him. However, this would not be the case in other instances. For example, murder. (laughs) I think that it's not great that the show expects us to always forgive sexual assault. Well well said. Yeah, absolutely. Like, we've kind of had this come up before with some other listener comments, you know. I think this show, because it's a, a horny teenage show, And with the whole like vampires as a metaphor for sex, it walks a fine line in terms of how it talks about sex and sexuality for people of this age on a network TV show. And it's really come kind of like come up 
to that line of like what is assault what is consensual sex several times including in the pack and unfortunately like it or not there this is something we're gonna have to continue to contend with throughout the series yeah but um i really like the way that you worded that zoe thank you yeah and our second hot stakes is from Annie. She writes, still loving your podcast. <laughs> oh, good. We haven't let you down yet, but it's going to happen, Annie. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry, Annie. It's coming. I look forward to it every week and have been especially looking forward to tomorrow's, i.e. today's, lie to me. So you probably already know this, but Buffy episode sevens are known as heavy hitters, important episodes that move the plot along and or wallop a big emotional punch. Season one was Angel and now season two is Lie to Me. I have been really looking forward to Lie to Me because it's such a great episode. I love the messy ones, the ones that deal with choice and morality and the hilarious mm. angel sassing on what the wannabes wear. That's interesting. It's so interesting. Annie, I didn't know that. I honestly no, didn't either. know that was a thing. Uh, I totally see it now that you pointed out. So I'm wondering if the reason that the seven, the seventh episode is such a significant episode might have something to do with how the way that TV seasons are scheduled, the seventh episode might be airing sometime in November, lead, just like leading into American Thanksgiving. Sweet. So you know how like, yeah. So like, you know how TV shows traditionally, at least, would often like take a, a week or two off around Thanksgiving because there'd mm -hmm. be like specials, people might be traveling. So it's not a good time. You know, there's football or whatever. It's not a good time to be airing like a brand new episode. So um, it kind of makes sense to have like a heavy hitting episode leading into Thanksgiving. Yeah. So that you're kind of leaving the viewers unsettled and ready to come back after Thanksgiving uh, for this new era. So yeah. thanks for pointing that out, Annie, because like Steph, I did not know that either. Uh, we always love it when our listeners <laughs> kind of share these little kind of trivia things about Buffy because, you know, I've watched this series... <laughs> more times than I can count. And there's definitely a lot of kind of behind the scenes stuff I have picked up over the years. Yeah. But for as much as I've learned and remembered, I've probably learned and forgotten a tons of ton of stuff as well. So it's always great when people kind of write in with stuff that we don't know and we can share with the rest of our listeners. Yeah. And I also want to piggyback on what she's talking because she's talking about lie to me. And uh, that episode got published this morning and remember at the end of lie to me i didn't know that that was ford who was the vampire yeah. okay a couple of people have listened to the episode today and reached out on social and said i also didn't know that that was ford so see steph this I is why it's always good to confess your ignorance yes. and i say this for me as well because i have <laughs> yes. those moments too yes because you're not alone right I'm not. like this I is feel seen yeah, this is the thing about television and media critique in general, right? Is I think we often have this perception that those of us who are critiquing media always need to be on point. We need to like know everything. We need to be experts because if we're not, how could our critiques possibly be legitimate? Mm -hmm. But I would say that if you're watching a show, and especially if you're a fan of the show, as long as your critiques are coming from a place of good intentions, right? Like your critiques are legitimate, they may not always be sound, right? depending on the reasoning that you have behind stuff. But, yeah. you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being mistaken because you couldn't remember something correctly or you misinterpreted something or the show itself was a little bit vague about it. Or, you know, you're watching 
the because it's not in HD and sometimes the conversions between various platforms aren't high quality. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of listeners out there who are aware of the controversy around the Buffy DVDs um, and how things were remastered for later seasons yeah. in HD and it's bad news. <laughs> so it's like, you know, you admitting stuff that you didn't recognize that that was Ford. That was a very brave thing to do. And I'm really glad that other listeners have written in and, and said the same thing. You know, it's just a, a sign that when we're critiquing media, we don't have to be perfect and we're not going to be perfect. You know, both of us are going to make mistakes, both in terms of how we watch and interpret the show and some of the commentary we might level at the show. And that's why this is a conversation with our listeners. So we love it when people write in, whether it's to confirm what we're saying uh, or challenge us or just add to the conversation. Please keep doing it. This is why I feel safe to admit when I don't know or didn't know something because I feel safe with you, Kara. But we're building uh -huh. a really beautiful community with this Hot Stakes segment and online with our Buffy community. Like everybody, you're free to share with us. We're always here to listen. Thank you so much for sending us your thoughts, opinions, and letting me know that when I don't know something, it's valid. You're always safe with me, Steph. Listeners, I'm secretly plotting to betray her. <laughs> I'm gonna stab Kara with the figure skate. <laughs> <sighs> Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. We invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us prophecy girls podcast on tiktok instagram and facebook and prophecy underscore girls on twitter you can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website prophecygirls.ca see you next week bye